Hello and welcome to the Android Central Podcast. It is Friday, March 1st, 2019. My name is Daniel Bader, Managing Editor of Android Central. And if you're listening to this, you have survived MWC 2019, I, I would assume. Just like us, uh, the three of us, Andrew, Alex, we are back. How are you guys doing? How are you feeling? Are you jet lagged? Tell me everything. Uh, marching into March here with uh, a bit of a Ooh. gravelly voice and uh, my first full night's sleep in about a week and a half. Yeah. Amen to that. Alex, <laughs> you uh, you standing on two legs? Uh, I'm just just about, yeah. It's a pretty busy show for us this year, but um, yeah, just about recovered. Got a couple more videos to crank out for uh, the AC channel from Barcelona, but uh, otherwise, yeah, alive, alive and well. Well, that's good to hear because we got a lot of news to get through today. It's been, it was probably the busiest MWC that I can remember, uh, at least, I don't know, since like 2015 or so. Um, and that's, that was even without the Galaxy S10 launching in Barcelona. So um, last week we were all together and it was pre-show beginning. We talked a lot about the Galaxy S10 itself, the Galaxy Fold. Um and Andrew, you had some time to use the phone. You've put your you you wrote a seventy two hour review, um, and you know I'm going to use the S10 to sort of jump into the many topics that we want to get to today because this is really the the typical phone launch, right? It you know as as many device variants as there were, you look at this phone and you're like, yep, this makes sense in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, How's it going so far? How do you feel about the device and how how how, uh, how does it compare to to what your expectations were? It's uh, it's exactly what we expected. Like ninety five percent of it is exactly what we expected, and I think the only things that really stood out to me as like su- surprising one way or the other is that the um, the wide angle camera is incredibly fun. We've kind of all <clears throat> excuse me, we've all independently learned that. Um, the rest of the camera experience is basically the same, which was more on the expected side. Uh, the ultrasonic fingerprint sensor is not fantastic, but it's usable. Um, and then the rest of the phone is, it's just a Samsung phone. It's, it's, it's industry leading in just about every way, like in an individual component spec, you know, execution way. And it didn't take very long to to realize that that's what we were going to get into. And that's not a bad thing. It's just, you know, there weren't many surprises hiding in this phone. Alex, um, you were using a Note 9 for, the most, for most of the show. Um, it's been updated to One UI. You've seen the Galaxy S10 series now, specifically the S10 Plus. How does the One UI update go back to previous versions and and does it give these older phones new life or is it pretty much the same status quo um in terms of performance i mean the note 9 pretty much performs like a note 9 um there are little little bits here and there where maybe it doesn't feel quite as responsive as as you know a super super fast phone like a a OnePlus 6T or something like that but in terms of the just the experience of using it and the you know, the everyday uh UI things you have to deal with in the feature set for the most part, um, using one UI on a Note 9 is pretty much the same as using it on an S10. Um, if you have one of these previous generation Samsung phones, then 
there's not going to be a whole lot new for you in terms of the way it looks or behaves or feels. And that's kind of in line with what we've seen over the past couple of years when we get a major Samsung UI revision and it comes to the old phones and hey, there's, you know, you're not waiting months after the release of the new phone to get that UI and to get those features on your old phone. By the time you listen to this, uh, it'll probably be the beginning of the week that the Galaxy S10 is released. It's coming out March 8th. Um, we, we've only used the Galaxy S10 Plus for any length of time, but we got to play around with the S10 5G a bit more at Mobile World Congress. Um, this is a phone that we're not really sure was made for any person rather than was made by <laughs> Samsung for the carrier's edification. And yet the phone, I think, is going to be objectively the, quote, best S10 in the sense that it's got a much bigger screen, it's got a bigger camera, it's got that fourth rear camera, oh, sorry, um, bigger battery, it's got that fourth rear time of flight camera that allows for live video bokeh, and same on the front with that extra time of flight sensor. Um, what were your, what's your impression of of that phone and whether people should maybe wait if they're going to if they were in no rush to buy an S10, should they hold out for this one? I mean, the reason uh, to buy it yeah. is... <laughs> the reason to buy it is the battery, right? And the screen. The reason to buy it is not the 5G. And it's only those two things. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't even throw in the cameras as any realistic, you know, big, big deal over what's on the other ones. You, you've got to care a whole lot about, uh, about slightly better portrait shots to... Uh, I wonder what what if any implications are going to be of having that the the 5g moniker and the fact that it's got the 5g radios in it if that's going to have any impact on software updates going forward that that's one thing that you have to wonder about it too if you're considering this over just an unlock 10 plus that's true and i mean there's no indication that samsung will actually sell this unlocked anytime soon i mean this is going to be a verizon right. exclusive for the first X months of its life and then eventually roll out to the other three U.S. carriers uh, and it'll live alongside other 5G phones that Samsung has even admitted to be producing. Samsung is going to make a second 5G-capable S10 variant for AT&T. We know that um, because the first one only supports um, millimeter wave and the second one will support both millimeter wave and sub-6 Gigahertz. We talked about this extensively in previous podcasts. Uh, the differences between those frequencies. Look it up uh, if you're interested. But you know, I think the S10 5G is a great phone that nobody should buy unless you are interested in the battery. And as Alex said, that's exactly right. Um, but while we were kind of getting our handle on the S10 itself, Samsung dropped this. I don't even know what it was. Was it a beauty roll or like some sort of a, <laughs> yeah, it just, was just weird. Some, some like strange ASMR YouTube video of the Galaxy Fold? Um, and this was the best look of the device that we'd seen to date. It was clear how the phone's used, how you're going to be able to manipulate it to get, you know, to use the smaller screen and then transition into the bigger screen and 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 use that app continuity feature to go between those experiences. Um, Alex, when you saw this, what was what changed, if anything, uh, of your impression of the phone? It's 
really difficult to say. This is a very sort of, this is something you have to actually physically hold and use yourself. And it's very difficult to make any kind of informed judgment based on, you know, very uh, highly polished, uh, very well produced video. Um, you can kind of get a look, uh, you know, a sense of, of how the hinge works and how that sort of motion is going to work. But as we know from devices like the Huawei Mate X, when you have these foldable devices, a lot of the, um, the most important part of it almost is the detail of how it opens, the feel of it, the very, very sort of fine details that are going to affect how it works every day. You know, the way it closes, the way the hinge is there kind of a, is there you know, a gap or any kind of um, crease there that might develop. I think until we get our hands on it and until we can take our own pictures and make our own determinations, it's going to be very difficult to make any kind of informed decision on it. Yeah, there are lots of, practical questions that we go back to that we haven't really had to answer about smartphones for the last you know several years as we basically just evolved this rectangle that's just gotten a little bit taller a little bit larger a little bit thinner you know here scale 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 and then all of a sudden you have this new thing that you don't really know how you're going to hold it in in the practical sense you know as you walk down the street or you're taking it in and out of your pocket or in and out of your bag. Like what's that transition of, you know, you have it open and then you, you know, you need to carry something else. How easy can you kind of shift your hand over and close it with one hand, all that kind of stuff. You don't see that. uh, I mean, of course in, in Samsung's own kind of B roll video, but what you did see in that video is, I mean, this is all live shot stuff. This wasn't like some kind of CGI thing or a, a promo reel. It was just like excruciatingly long versions of here, we're going to open the phone and then close it. And then we're going to take photos. And so you got to see a lot of the the base functionality to know that like this thing works. But uh, like Alex said, I, I don't know how much you can, can glean from how or about how this is going to work just in a daily smartphone sense. Yeah, it's interesting um, that Samsung went with this, you know, so-called any design with the third screen on the front and how it believes that is the best compromise for most people, especially as a version one. Um, And although they did not give us access to it, the only as close as we got to it was through some very reflective, uh, a very reflective case at its booth at MWC with lots of people jostling around trying to get into uh, as close as possible to it. Uh, Alex, you did actually use the other major foldable phone announcement at MWC, the Huawei Mate X. This is the opposite design. It's a it's an Audi, which means that this, the two screens are on the outside and there is no third screen. Tell us about that because... I don't know. A lot of people think that Huawei won so-called, you know, won this contest of 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 uh, which one won the hearts and minds of of the people attending the show. So I guess there was more buzz around the Mate X just because Huawei showed it to more people, right? The only uh, real look that you could get at the Galaxy Fold was this demo unit running a demo loop behind glass. So more people played with it. There was more reporting of it. It was it was Huawei's only phone announcement of the show pretty much and so yeah it's easy to to see how people considering it to, to have actually won the show in terms of just sheer amount of coverage um samsung i think is taking a bit more of a cautious approach samsung had the galaxy s10 the you know, s10 you know, 
for these phones that were available to go look at at uh, MWC. Uh, it didn't necessarily want to detract from the phones that people are actually going to buy with this um, weird first-gen device in a brand-new form factor. But the Mate X, I think, you know, what Huawei is, is maybe a little bit more adventurous with, with showing it off to people. And, you know, it, in that sense, you get to see the device uh, both in terms of its potential and the, the the areas where it may disappoint. And, you know, this is a first-generation product. There are going to be some compromises there. Um, I think the way the way it's designed and the way it appears in, in photos and just the fact that the sheer amount of the surface of this thing that is screen is, is inherently very impressive. Um, but also Huawei was, was opening up um, this device to potentially a lot more criticism just because of letting people get up much more close with it and actually be able to see the, uh, you know, the fact that the, the hinge is, you know, it's, it's plastic and then OLED and then just, just a hinge below it. It's a very impressive looking hinge, but you know, you can, you can see how potentially that'll be a point of weakness. If it's dropped, you can see the fact the screen is plastic. Yes. It attracts a lot of fingerprints. If you've been passing it around a, a group of journalists, uh, you can see it, it attracts smudges more so than a glass phone. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, it's an impressive design. Huawei definitely put out a big splash in terms of the publicity that it got. Uh, I have a little bit more of an idea of um, what it's going to be like to use, although, you know, I had about 30 to 40 minutes with it. It's hard to kind of tell. One thing I will say, though, is that Huawei software, still Huawei software, and I don't, mm. I don't know that I, I trust them to get it right in the first attempt with a brand new form factor, especially as, as, as crummy as their tablet UI is. But um, we will have to wait and see again. This is a. I, I have more time with it than I've had time with the Galaxy Fold, but uh, it's going to take longer than half an hour to to figure out how this very new sort of form factor is going to work in day to day life. And I think there's a there's a considerable difference. I mean, obviously, outside of just the fact that you have the Indy on one side and the Audi on the other, there's a big difference between the Mate X is I think as like a design specimen just considerably cooler looking and it has, you know, more of the futuristic look all the time, whether it's folded out or folded back, you, you get a feeling for how cool it is, but the galaxy fold seems dramatically more practical from a, you could hand this to somebody that uses a current phone and you kind of get the paradigm at first versus the issues that the mate X of potentially holding on to this, you know, how you hold it with the screen being all over the place and you have this handle on the other side and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, whether that works out in Huawei's favor is kind of questionable. I mean, obviously it got a lot more coverage for many of the reasons Alex stated, but I mean, both of these things are going to be on sale uh, relatively soon. So, you know, we don't have that much longer before we start finding out which one, you know, does it uh, not right, but better. Yeah, I think that was something I was surprised about. Um, even though we don't know exactly when the Mate X will come out, we actually got prices for both of these products. The Mate, uh, the Galaxy Fold will cost a hundred or one thousand nine hundred eighty U.S. dollars. Um, it'll be on sale in uh, on on April twenty sixth, and we know that the Mate X will be. 2299 euro which is about 2600 us dollars so quite a bit more expensive yeah and when did they say it would come out like the first half of this year second half mid mid 2019 i thought mid 2019 yeah 
which who the heck knows, you know, whatever they can, they could call mid 2019, whatever they want, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I guess the question is when these come out, are they going to be products you can walk into a store and buy? Should they even be products you can walk into the store and buy? Or will this very much be an experiment for both companies so that they can inform future generations of much cheaper, much more mainstream versions of the same thing? It's going to be a bit of both, I think. And in Huawei's case, it's done a pretty good job at getting some very strange phones into into carrier stores and into retailers here <laughs> yeah. in the UK. So a couple of the Porsche design phones made their way to Carphone Warehouse. And Vodafone has actually picked up the Mate X in the UK as well. So you will be able to, um, I mean, God knows how much, how much you'll actually pay for it if you do, but you'll be able to buy one of these on contract in a carrier store if you really, really want to um, and, and spread out that cost a little bit, which... You know, we're talking about a $2,600 phone. Uh, chances are you're going to want to do that. And, and by the way, how, how insane is it that we're even talking about that figure when it comes to a, a smartphone or even a tablet? It's it's bonkers, really. It, it's 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 insane, but it also it normalizes to some extent the $1,000 Galaxy S10 Plus or the $1,600 ceramic-backed 1 terabyte 12 gig about gig of RAM version of the S10 Plus that you can buy, you know, very few people are going to pick these phones up, but it definitely does lend it a bit more credence in the mainstream. And there's something to be said for the fact that just because, you know, these are absurdly expensive. Uh, I think the Mate X kind of crossed an additional ridiculous line being above $2,500. But even the Fold, of course, is, is insane at, you know, $400 more than the top S10 Plus loaded up. But they're not replacing the Mate 20 Pro and the Galaxy S10 Plus. You know, the, these are phones that, or, or whatever you call them, devices, you know, that sit on just another level, just in the same way that I think we would be a lot more uh, skept- skeptical of Samsung's approach if the Galaxy S10 5G was the Galaxy S10 Plus and it had all of these limitations and restrictions and was going to be more expensive we would be dramatically you know more critical of how the the two of these uh folding phones were launching if they were kind of the flagship of the year but since they're kind of just like these like trial balloons they're sending out i i mean they're almost better off charging as much as possible for them uh just because they're not going to make that many of them and they really you know they're not going to be ready for the masses yet so these when when the Galaxy Fold comes out at the end of April, um, the Galaxy S10 will have been out for a long time. Now that we have a sense of what the market is like for these phones, where do you think most people are going to land this year on the S10 series? Will they go with the S10 Plus for its insane battery life and bigger screen? Are they going to settle for the you know the the middle? child of the s10 with its slightly smaller battery but much more easily one-handable design or do they go with the considerably cheaper s10e which doesn't have that in-display fingerprint sensor but has a somewhat more practical side-mounted fingerprint sensor power button combo and an even smaller screen but a phone size that is so easy to hold it harkens back to the days of like the galaxy s7 i expect the trend to continue the from the last couple of generations where the plus model was uh, outselling the regular and by a considerable margin is my understanding 
uh, just because part of it is because you're going to have you know people trading in or people trading in and financing the rest through their through their carrier or or, or through Samsung directly, and that's going to really just not completely remove but almost remove the hundred dollar price difference. Like people are going to look at the the larger battery and the larger screen, and if it's the difference of a couple dollars uh, after a trade in or a you know a couple dollars a month after um, all said and done, they're just going to go with the bigger device. It's such a small difference, and I think that if you're trying to save money, uh, you're kind of you're going to have this stratification where a lot of people just drop down to the S10e because they need something new and they're upgrading from two or three you know generations old and they don't feel like they need to make that big bu- uh, bump. If you're going to save money, you're just going to go all the way down to the S10e. Uh, but at the higher end, if you're talking about the difference of $100, uh, a lot of people are just going to go all the way for it. Um, if you've if you've justified that you can spend $900 on an S10, you're probably just going to get the S10 Plus and you're going to you know make that snap decision in the end. It's uh, especially since they're so, so similar in um, in every other respect, uh, it's not really that big of a size difference, uh, as far as, you know, Oh, I like smaller phones or something. Well, you would just get the S 10 E in that case as well. I, I guess so. I mean, I've heard many people say that the S 10 E is the right phone, not, not because of its compromises, but because it's actually a better experience all told it's not just for people who like small phones i heard you can drop that notification shade by swiping on the fingerprint sensor daniel is that true <laughs> yeah i i think so given how many people retweeted that very odd uh video that i posted or not the video wasn't odd but how popular it was that was odd. <laughs> um but it is i mean it, it does speak to a large percentage of people that we don't really acknowledge all the time it's the regular phone buyer um, and I'm actually going to throw out, you know, I, I'm going to give a bit of feedback of last week's homework. Asked Last week, I asked people to email in to say, to tell us how they bought their phones. And, you know, we received a dozen or so responses from people who have never gone into a carrier store, or at least haven't gone in the last generation of of, of Android devices. And that speaks to the increasing popularity of unlocked phones but also the fact that the people who listen to this podcast are probably pretty well-versed in the industry. Smart um, people. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because the carrier model is so different. There are so, there's so many incentives for salespeople to sell particular products. And we don't really talk about that a lot, where, say, a Samsung with the marketing spend that it has is likely going to put up billboards and you know spam your your Instagram feed, but they're also going to pay the salespeople at your Verizon or AT&T store a fair commission and probably more, you know, higher than LG or even Google um, to sell an S10. And that's a, you know, they, they call it a spiff. And that spiff is not, uh, it, it's not to be taken lightly because it really does influence the way that these salespeople um go out of their way to try to sell you a particular product. That being said, a lot, a lot of people are just going to buy an iPhone or, or a Galaxy anyway. Yeah, there is something to be said for just you know buying a Galaxy. And I think that that's what's going to sell. That's why I think it's mostly going to be you know, stratified to both ends because you know the people on the, on the S10e side, 
they're still getting a Galaxy S10 as far as they're concerned, and they got it for $150 or $250 less than the other one. And on the high end, it's more like, I came in for a Galaxy S10. What's the best one? Okay, I'm going to get that one. Right. Um, so here's your homework for this week, if you're if you're willing to do some. Um, what do you think of the new foldable phones? Is this something you'd be interested in? Which one do you prefer, the Galaxy Fold or the Huawei Mate X? And what's the upper limit that you would spend on a phone like this? I mean, or a phone in general. Is are, have we have we breached that chasm? Have have we gone beyond what you're willing to to spend? Let us know. Podcast at AndroidCentral.com. We love, love, love hearing from you. Okay, so we're gonna move past the foldable phones. We're gonna go back a little bit to the more mainstream releases. Alex, let's talk about the claw. Yeah. Um, I I say that because uh, that is the LG G8, the phone that uh, I think we all loved to hate on at this during MWC. Um, Give us a sense of what this phone is and what it has that differentiates it from the S7 or G7. So on the outside, uh, not a whole lot. Uh, If you look at how different the uh the s10 looks compared to the s9 and then put a g7 next to a g8 you would really struggle to tell the difference between the two um i mean there are a couple of upgrades there that are on the inside that are pretty significant you're up to a snapdragon 855 now you have more ram you have more storage um you have a slightly upgraded camera uh the screen is now oled instead of lcd uh, but really the things that differentiate it are more like software gimmicks um uh, well, software gimmicks combined with the unique hardware that, that lets it work, I guess. Um, so the, the big thing that this phone can do that others can't, you have a time-of-flight sensor on the front, the special kind of depth sensor that lets you kind of adjust, like twist a virtual knob, I guess, to, to either move settings around or hop between apps. And you're going to look like an idiot doing it, and you're probably going to try it once, and you're never actually going to um, make that part of your day-to-day uh, uh, sort of workflow. But... Yeah, it's something new, and you know, for a long time, we've been saying LG should do more new and crazy things, like like the LG of old with the, with the flexible devices with leather on the back. But um, you know, new new and different isn't always the same as good. This ain't it, Chief. Yeah, um, I didn't spend a, a abundance of time with it, but um, I did. I did see your video. I did see your hands on write up, and it's. I mean, this this thing is probably DOA, right? Yeah, the fact that we were just talking about the S10, of course, it's not that the G8 is bad. It's just that it's not a Galaxy S10. And, you know, we don't know how pricing is going to shake out in every single area. But just like the last three generations, Samsung just does every single thing that LG does and does it better. And it's a game of small margins Uh, because I think the G8 is still a really good phone and anybody that buys one is going to be happy. But the problem is if they put in the time a little bit ahead of time and they hold an S10 right next to it, they're going to recognize that the S10 screen is better. uh, It has a triple camera and the camera quality we can expect is going to be better because the, the G8 hasn't really appreciably changed. And this additional thing, uh, you know, the couple additions like the hi-fi DAC and the, um, and the air motion stuff, like those aren't differentiators to make up for all of the other little areas where Samsung is ahead. 
And like, if you're looking head to head at the same price, you know, nobody has the brand affinity to LG phones at this point to choose the LG. What's really frustrating is that we don't know the price that LG does this over and over again, that they announce products with no pricing, no specific availability year after year, despite knowing that Samsung will do will will offer both of those things the moment that their phones are announced. And this year, I think, hurts LG even more because the Galaxy S10, regardless of when the LG G8 goes on sale, will be out earlier. It will have more options and it will generally be a more attractive phone that to, to use when you walk into a store. Um, we don't know the price of the G8 and that I think is going to largely depend on the carriers because LG still sells the vast majority of its phones in the US in carrier stores. But and so it's this willing is going to play have, ball a little bit. This is going to have to be like 800 bucks at max like maximum to to do anything, right? You would you would think so. Um and we said similar things about the V40 which was ostensibly a higher end model so it came out with a higher price but I, if LG doesn't keep this I mean geez even 850 would seem crazy I mean I just got done talking about how people are you know they're happy to spend the extra hundred dollars in a carrier store to go from the s10 to the s10 plus and that's been borne out over the last few years why would they not make a very similar decision to go from the G8 to the s10 or s10 plus for a similar amount of money uh, it seems like that minimal amount of gap is not enough to make up for that. And and again, it's not that the G8 is is bad. It's just that when you, it's going to be put into this carrier situation where it's it's going to get pushed a little bit under the back burner. And no matter how many, you know, we just we talked about how LG has good deal or good relationships with the carriers. It's not as good as just the cold, hard cash that comes in from selling a considerable amount more Samsung phones. Yeah, and that's that's no doubt true. And it, it also, it's interesting when contrasted, Alex, with the V50, which was announced alongside the G8. And LG is now taking this really interesting stance where for the foreseeable future, which probably means one or two generations at most, the G series will be LTE and the V series will be 5G. And the V50 is the first 5G phone that LG's announced. So um, this was a weird product announcement, like as about as weird as you can get, because not only do you get this phone that is basically a V40 with a few tweaks and a 5G modem, but you also get this weird dual display add-on that sort of <laughs> yeah. makes it into a foldable phone, but not really. What do, what do you think of this? So, uh, I mean, for, for starters, if if you live anywhere outside the U.S. or Korea, this phone isn't going to be of, of much interest to you. Even if you're in the U.S., chances are the only reason to care about it, once again, is the bigger battery. And, um, well, not probably probably not a whole lot else besides that. Um, I think we know that the accessory, the, the, the second screen accessory, is only going to be sold in Korea, I think. Um, we'll double check on that, but I, I think we've been told it's, it's not coming to the U.S. G5's friends all over again. Well, not hopefully not quite that bad, but yeah, this is another weird first-party accessory that's going to require manufacturers to actually specifically build for it. And um, you know, we've been here before with the, like you said, with these LG friends. Um, it's probably not going to happen. And you know, given the fact that it's not even being ranged in the US, 
Um, it's probably better viewed as like a this weird little prototype thing. Um, I I don't know. I think LG wants to be trying wants to try and be part of the wearable conversation, the the uh, foldable conversation uh, rather. And yeah, this is this is probably not something you should pay much attention to. Like the phone in general. Well, the phone basically. in general. I mean, I think that the time the time for a V forty with a big battery was just around the time of the launch of the original V forty. Frankly, <laughs> and that's the only reason that you really have to care about this device. Uh, a period, really. Um, we had a similar situation last year with a V thirty S plus thing Q, which was this slightly upgraded, uh, sort of weirdo phone with more storage and more ram and software that eventually came back to the other v30s as well uh, lg seem, seems intent on you know having these weird sort of half step upgrades and even then you know th- this is more of like a v40s than a, a v50 i think there's there's more interest in it because they've they've gone that full number bump up to the next generation but um you've got to imagine there'll be a, a, a truer upgrade to the v series later in the year like a v60 or whatever that will also be 5g that will have a more meaningful upgrade in in other areas um and once again, you would have LG had this weird sort of transition period last year where the new management took over and they're reevaluating all the products. And it seems that the result of that is basically more of the same, except with less direction. And between the, the V50 and the G8, the biggest thing I took away from it was how just how completely rudderless the home thing, the whole thing seemed. It's not clear what direction they're heading in. It's not clear why either of these products exist or what the what value there is to to its to, to either the, the unique selling point of either of them and yeah it doesn't give you a whole lot of confidence in the future of, of lg's mobile business just like the galaxy s10 5g the v50 in particular feels very much like this is just trying to work carrier relationships and it comes off to consumers really really bad because there, there's no story to this thing because the only story is we want to work with carriers on 5G in the future. And so we're gonna you're we're gonna work with them because they're gonna commission 5G devices. And that's that's literally it. And the the fact that it was gonna be a little bit larger, a little bit thicker, just gave them room to put in a little extra battery, and then they're like, Holy crap, we should add something else. So we're gonna come out with this uh dual view case with this second screen that's kind of uh bonkers. So it looks really bad because it is. It looks just like a blatant uh, sprint. And LG wanted to work together on 5G going forward. Let's try a balloon, a phone out there. What do we got? And it wasn't going to be a 5G version of the G8, apparently, because they want the G8 to kind of just be the mainstream thing. So why not just rev the V40? What's so interesting about this is like if you... I I actually liked the hardware of the G8. I I didn't care much for the the V50 because it is so similar to the V40 and and the improvements are not very obvious. But the the G8 is it's a little thicker, it's a little denser. Um it has this unbroken back where there's no camera bump at all. There's no speaker grill on the front for the earpiece because the screen is essentially a speaker now. So there's there's this attention to detail with the G8 that I really appreciate. Um, it's going to be completely overshadowed by all the other gimmicks. Uh, Air motion is not going to sell phones. In fact, it's going to distract from the core competency of the G8, which is still the fact that you know it has the best sound in the in the business. It has the best 
DAC in the business. Um, the the OLED display is is actually pretty good. Um, and the software is now not a garbage fire. The problem is that Samsung software is now better than it was, and, and LG's still far behind. Samsung's hardware, I think, is still better, and LG's pretty far behind. So nothing LG can do on a year-to-year basis is they're never able to lap Samsung in anything. Um, so, and, and, and maybe in the areas they do lap them, like haptics or... Or, or sound quality, they're not. That's not important enough for most people to really pay attention to. Absolutely, I completely agree. It's going to be real interesting to see where we are in twelve months' time, um, because there's. I think there's only a certain. I mean, th- this situation can't go on indefinitely, right? No, you no. Can't, we, we can't make it to the V sixty V seventy at this at this rate of change and kind of like rudderless. Uh, kind of nothingness <laughs> and expect it to expect LG to keep going like that. And it's so weird because this is the year that you would have thought the the guys taking over last year in the management roles would have actually started the roadmap back then in, in the beginning of 2018 to have something ready to show right about now. And yet that's not happened. Um, maybe it'll be later in the year. Maybe this is just like a, a stopgap. It's just... Uh, yeah, this this ain't it. <laughs> well, it's, it's also interesting. David Ruddick, who was on the show two weeks ago, said that this is the make or break year for a lot of these companies. And he called out LG in particular. Um, this was before the G8 and V50 were announced. But now that we've seen them, I don't have that much or even any more confidence uh, than I did. Other than to say, you know, I spoke to a bunch of LG people off the record who claimed that you know they know that this is a bad idea to keep losing money in the mobile space but because they are so successful in other areas they're going to continue bleeding money because the phone is the center of everybody's mobile life and that that's not a, that's not a new assertion but them saying it in the beginning of 2019 speaks to the fact that it's probably not going to be the last year we see LG phones I, and, I, and I, I mean yeah. obviously that's not going to happen I agree with that. And LG is one of the few companies they they did or, you know, did what an HTC or uh, a Sony really, really couldn't. Oh, actually, probably not including Sony in that list. They have money from elsewhere that they can just funnel into phones indefinitely. Um, if you want to do that, and if it's not a question of the money, then surely um, you just, <laughs> you, you realize you're going to have to eat that cost for a few years and you go all out to catch up. It seems like LG doesn't really know whether it wants to be in this industry or whether it wants to withdraw completely or whether it wants to ramp up to the level where it maybe can compete with Samsung because LG is, although not the size of Samsung, they certainly have the scale that few companies have and the resources that few companies have to, if they really wanted to, to catch up there. And something that you can see from that's a, a result of a lot of these resources resources and just the general R&D budget and capabilities that LG has are the little cool things like the the display resonation um resonating as a as a loudspeaker or as a phone speaker you know like as uh Daniel said having the f- perfectly flat back so that you know they were able to engineer out a camera bump even though the phones aren't thick all of these little things are are cool things that are they show that they're not completely phoning it in when they try the problem is they're they're missing out on the the high end differentiating feature part totally 
Yeah, I mean, LG is one company that's gone through a management change and kind of ended up in the same place. Conversely, uh, Sony also announced three new phones at MWC. They've been through a significant, even probably more significant, executive shuffle uh, over the last year and have emerged with this very interesting flagship and this, I think, renewed outlook that is much more focused and isn't aiming to sell millions of phones, at least not in the high end. Um, And Andrew, I want to get into this with you because you and I were in that meeting where we saw this phone for the first time and you sort of just look at it and you go, huh, that's really interesting. So this is the Xperia 1. No more XZ whatever combination. We're just, it's the one. It is, I would say, about as redesigned as any Sony phone has been since the original Xperia Z back in 2013 even. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, going from the T to the Z. And I don't know, I'm pretty impressed. So walk us through the Xperia Z and, and where it takes some of its inspirations from other parts of the Sony business. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you that it starts with the design, especially after we, we just saw the XC3. And that was very much a continuation of the last kind of three, four years of Sony design. And this, it's, it's not that the new uh, Xperia 1 doesn't feel like a Sony phone. It absolutely feels and looks like a Sony phone. They've just given up on a lot of the other things they were doing with kind of the the extra curved kind of pillowy back and kind of that, the, the continuation of the Omni balance design, this is a brand new thing. And you can immediately tell that from the 21 by nine display, which is uh, kind of incredibly tall. Um, But they kept around lots of good ideas. Like they're still using their, they, they went back actually to a side mounted fingerprint sensor. That is also not the power button. They're keeping the shutter key, um, uh, for the camera and they're not doing a notch or a cutout and it, it all kind of circles around this display. And then the, the three cameras on the back. And that's where this renewed integration with all of Sony's other parts of its business, uh, come in. So my understanding is that the new CEO of the mobile unit used to run the Sony alpha camera unit. Is that correct, Daniel? Yeah, I think so. Um, if he doesn't outright run just the mobile like all all of those units together the alpha and the mobile i think right. he's now focusing entirely on on mobile at least right and so i mean look we've we've expected this and heard this from from sony and everybody else for so long sony makes some of the best camera gear you know from everything to, you know from a thousand dollar mirrorless camera up to like insane you know you shoot uh, motion like you know full budget motion pictures with it cameras and yet its cameras have just been a, a smoldering pile for like the last five years as the rest of the industry has taken off the the hope is that the xperia one is the kickoff point for that and they're talking a lot of the same uh points that interestingly lg has done with the v series going with the kind of you know video you know prosumer video professional type people that like to shoot better quality video on their phones and they're leaning into it with this 21 by 9 screen by using this huge wide screen when you lay it in landscape to give you a pro mode that's 
you're one of the most comprehensive I've ever seen while giving you three different lenses to shoot with at different uh, focal lengths and offering OIS in the camera now. Uh, it's really easy to be skeptical about how well that's going to come out because Sony's cameras have, like I said, not been fantastic, but they, they seem to be actually putting a lot of the things into motion that they've talked about and not at all delivered on in, in the last three generations. Yeah, I'm, it's very, um, I would say it's, it's probably not a bad idea to be skeptical about the claims. Um, but what I really rec the claims of the, the camera fidelity rather, uh, even though now it's a triple camera, it, there are three 12 megapixel sensors and it's kind of running the, it's hard, weird to say like the regular, um, you know, build out of, of 2019 phone cameras, but it's, um, we have a, a regular wide camera lens and then an ultra wide and a telephoto. And they all work together. They're all 12 megapixels. I think they're all F1.7 as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I hope that it works out, but it's really, I, I would not be surprised if Sony under, under delivers here because they've done this every generation for years. And talking about price, I mean, this this is going to be at least a thousand dollars, right? There, there's no way that it's it's less than that, especially when we didn't even mention the the quality of the, of the display. The, the display looks amazing. It's a 4K HDR OLED panel, and it's this new shape. I and the way that everything else rounds out inside this, and how well it's made, I wouldn't be surprised if we're a little bit north of a thousand dollars. Oh yeah, easily. I would twelve hundred. I would get. I, I would venture to say it's going to be at least twelve hundred dollars for the base. The base. Model so, like, sure. what's what's Sony's expectation in the in the middle ground? Because we don't really need to talk about the Xperia Ten and Ten Plus, but the the price point of those is three fifty or four hundred, and then they're going to have a seven hundred dollar gap before you get to the Xperia One. Yeah, I, I have no idea. I I don't think they really want to play in that mark you know in, in that seven eight hundred dollars i guess not range because they don't need to if they have this hero product at a thousand eleven twelve hundred dollars and then they are actually selling in volume at three fifty four hundred and thirty dollars why why bother with the other side of the market i mean is there that much of a market in in that middle ground anyway right and and they have they do have this um, this interesting thing though with the twenty one by nine display. Now the one that we use, Daniel, was was very limited in its software. They're just not ready to show the software off, which is another frustrating part of the old Sony coming through that we don't even know when this thing's coming out, and they won't you know let you see the software yet. But it didn't feel awkward. Honestly, after a couple seconds, you just realize that this is another tall phone. It's not that big of a deal, but it's just kind of extra tall, right? Yeah, I mean, it was it was more awkward um, than it, it was both less and more awkward than I considered. Because when you think about a 21 by 9, you're like, wow, that is going to be insanely tall. But because the bezels above and below the screen are about as slim as a non-notched phone can be. Uh, it wasn't unwieldy, especially given the six-inch screen size. Uh, Sony did the best with what it has, basically. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a, a, a hindrance to most people, but again, like this is a company that's positioning this phone as a phone for professional or like 
prosumer videographers who want to consume 21 by 9 content because two by one and wider are becoming normal-ish on YouTube. And a lot of apps, like they they showed off a version of Asphalt 9 that that, um, that, that, it, that was optimized for 21 by 9. You have the virtual uh, joystick on either side, and you now have a 16 by 9 screen that is just the game. So it actually mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense, but that's when you use it in landscape mode. It's kind of like a tablet. Uh, it, it, it always works better in landscape mode when it's wider than it does when you're in portrait. It's like, I think it's my kind of my f- final thought on it is that it's interesting that we thought that the thing for a while was going to wider and wider phones to offer kind of a tablet-y experience. I remember the LG View and co- <laughs> other things like that where we went all the way out even to four by three and you realize that it doesn't make sense to keep adding uh, width. And and this thing is narrower, considerably narrower than the Galaxy S10 Plus. So from a functional standpoint of being able to hold the phone one-handed, it makes more sense. But you also just kind of get that extra stuff up top that, you know, it'll just show up and it'll be there. And it doesn't have a huge detraction to your ability to use the phone. I don't know if it's going to turn into some massive feature for Sony where, you know, this is, you know, where they standardize on and they find that this works, but I don't, I don't think it's a detriment uh, to this phone at all. No, I, I, I agree. Alex, any thoughts on, um, on, on the Xperia one? I mean, it's interesting watching uh, the video that you shot in, in Barcelona, and uh, you know the, the phone is technically there at Mobile World Congress. Oh, there's a, an awful lot we can't talk about yet. We can uh, we can see Sony's hype around the camera, and um, you, know, you can see how ridiculously tall this 21 by 9 screen is, and it does feel a little bit different. Even if you've used uh, an 18 by 9 or above phone before, this is uh, this is an extra bit of height, and because the phone is quite angular still, it's it feels like a big sort of chunky chocolate bar of a phone. Um, I just hope that, you know, finally, finally, after all these years, after all this talk of, uh, you know, excellent smartphone on a Sony phone, uh, excellent camera on a, a Sony phone, that they can actually deliver this time. Because it's weird how after, I think, around maybe the, uh, the Z2, Z3 kind of era, where Sony phones generally were quite competitive in terms of the camera with a lot of the competition, maybe with the exception of the iPhone, we sort of hit this lull after that, after, to the point which they haven't really recovered yet. And if this is the year they can do that, then uh, that's going to be fantastic. And it's going to address a major weakness that they've had uh, over the past few years. Yeah, absolutely. So we don't know a lot about the Xperia 1. We don't really know when it's coming out. Late spring is Sony's target. That could mean the August, to August, calling it out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it depends. It could be the up to the day before summer. Spring. Who knows? Um, Sony loves to announce phones at MWC and then release them at the end of May, which is way too long, in my opinion. Uh, let's actually shift over to our final device of the conversation, and this is a phone that is going to be available probably by the time you hear this, um, and it's going to be available for perhaps a lot less than you thought. I'm talking about the Nokia 9 PureView. This was, uh, I think, for the photography fans out there, one of the most hyped devices at MWC. It has five cameras on the back, all of them the exact same resolution, but they work together to give you up to a 1,000 depth points of uh, on every photo that you take. This is... 
I don't know if it's the successor or the, the the spiritual successor to the Lumia 1020 or some of the older PureView phones, the the 808. But I don't know, Alex. This has me excited, and as somebody who shoots video for a living, I'm sure it has you excited too. So tell us a little bit about this phone. So this is the return of of the sort of famous PureView brand that we had uh, during the the Lumia days, and uh, the reason that. Nokia is digging out this brand is because finally in a in a modern Nokia Android phone you have something that's a little bit different a little bit special going on in the camera department so you have uh, five cameras on the back of this thing a mix of uh, monochrome and uh, RGB sensors behind f18 lenses uh, and the idea is by having so many of these you can capture a ton of data you can capture a ton of depth data uh, and that gives you benefits in terms of um, portrait shots in terms of being able to focus not just on the foreground or the background after the fact, but be able to granularly go in and focus on pretty much anywhere in between. You also have um, the possibility to capture a ton more light, and that means potentially a lot better low-light photos. Um, only downside is it's running last year's CPU, which they explained as uh, you know, having to optimize it for this very unique hardware. Um, and But also we're looking at a much lower price than you might expect uh, for a phone with such a crazy imaging setup. Yeah, so let's talk about that imaging setup. So there are three um there, there are three black and white sensors mm-hmm. and two RGB sensors. They all have 12 megapixels of resolution and they all have f1.7 aperture. Um which is interesting when you think about all of the other devices that are released that have been released over the last couple of years with variable um, apertures or variable focal lengths. And the other thing that this does is it defies the base spec of the Snapdragon 845. And it also justifies why it has a, a, a Snapdragon 845. It's because HC, um, Nokia rather worked with Qualcomm and Zeiss and the company Light, which had released that crazy 16 camera phone, uh, phone thing over the last couple of years to build this custom camera setup. So what does that mean? I mean, is this is this a real flagship or is this kind of just a, a special edition that's going to come and go and only be bought by a few thousand people? I, w- I want to see how it comes together in the real world, of course. You mentioned the company Light, which released that, whatever it was, $3,000 L16 uh, camera that uh, couldn't take photos as well as a Google Pixel 2, uh, you know, this is basically using the same system at, or, you know, the same idea as what Light used, thinking that you can use several different sensors to capture one photo rather than the, what we talked about, the standard, you know, flagship mode right now, which is wide, ultra wide and telephoto. They all have the same focal distance, so you don't get to switch around between them. And I think some people were initially put off by that, thinking, well, you gave me all of these sensors, but I can only still just press the shutter button and get one. Uh, admittedly, you can get a raw file with all of the you know, the depth information, all that kind of stuff built in. But if it doesn't do really, really, really well in all kinds of situations, clearly leveraging the the three monochrome sensors in addition to the main two, and it does it can't outdo a, a Pixel Three, you know, which there's a very real possibility that it may not be able to. Then you start to really, you know, question 
what you know why there's so much hype around it of course the price is lower but it's not considerably lower enough uh i think it's it's going to be 5.99 am i right yeah for for a week it'll be 5.99 and then it's on it's regular price will be uh 6.99 which is okay so 6.99 is yeah if it can do i mean they showed a lot of amazing photos that came out of this just like every other manufacturer has showed um it's really easy to find uh, i mean nowadays in 2018 2019 it's really easy to get an, an amazing photo out of just about any phone that costs more than $300 the question is the edge cases where do where do the set of 5 cameras make up for the fact that you know i i've been using the Galaxy S10 plus and loving shooting with the ultra wide camera uh, you know this doesn't this doesn't offer me the the fun of that but it so it better really destroy even the Pixel 3 if you want people to care about that because you know if this this is ostensibly the camera phone then they really got to knock it out of the park especially because you know Nokia since relaunching uh, under the under HMD is you know they haven't built up the reputation of building uh phones that are worth this kind of money I mean, what's good is that the phone's actually going to be available starting March 3rd. You could buy it if you want uh, on Take Amazon. Note, um, yeah, seriously, it's it's crazy how quickly the, um, the the delta is between announcement and release. And I'm very happy they're doing that. I'm worried that the software is unfinished or too unfinished to actually release widely. But like all other Nokia phones running Android One, which this one does, it will receive regular updates. So... That shouldn't be a problem. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to try it, actually. I, I think it'll be interesting. That was actually one, one phone note that I picked up from being at the, uh, the Nokia press conference at MWC is that they really, really love the fact that they can ship updates quickly, both platform updates and security updates. They see it as one of their three or four pillars of the Nokia brand is that by standardizing on Android one, they could get out updates extremely quickly. Uh, now there have been a couple small exceptions where people have waited around, but for the most part, they've uh, supported their older phones pretty well. And especially for a manufacturer that's selling two to $300 phones a lot, that is a, a big differentiator for people that actually care about it. You know, they love to point out that they have the the widest portfolio of phones that's already running on Android Pie between stuff that's been updated and stuff that they're launching that's new. And, you know, that's a little niche that they can carve out at this point because even though a lot of companies have said that they're interested in doing that and they're really working on it, uh, Nokia is doing it so far. Yeah, absolutely. They're they're putting their money with their, where their mouth is and their margins for this phone must be really, really tight. But my guess is that they want as many people to buy it as as possible. Which is which is fantastic. Well, that was uh, that was, I, I think, a pretty comprehensive roundup of the biggest announcement at, at MWC. Um, I liked the show. I thought it was pretty damn fun. You know, it was cool hanging out with you guys. It was it was fun being around all this exciting new tech. Yeah, it was a brisk one, but it was it was really good. the The worst thing that we can do is go to a trade show and kind of be twiddling our thumbs and and complaining that there isn't enough stuff to do. We'd rather we'd rather be wall to wall with it. Um, totally. Boy, were we wall to wall this year? 
<laughs> yeah, wall, beyond beyond the walls. And we didn't even we didn't talk about a, a bunch of devices like the Samsung Galaxy A50, which is probably the nicest mid-range phone that Samsung's ever released. Uh, we didn't really talk about the BlackBerry Key 2 Red Edition because it's a Key 2 that's red, and that's really all you need to know about it. Uh, there was a really interesting, not that not interesting from like a features perspective, but Lenovo put out a seven-inch phone tablet, which to me is quite interesting because it's bringing back that idea that people just want to combine their phone and their tablet into one device. We're seeing that with the foldable phones, obviously, but here's a 250 euro expression of that thought. Um, there were a couple of Chromebooks announced. There were a whole bunch of other things. You can check that all out uh, at androidcentral.com. If you're interested, we have a best of MWC 2019 post that uh, that has all of that information there. So we're going to end it there for today, but I just wanted to touch on one more thing, uh, if I could. We came back from MWC and we settled in for our regular kind of end of the week schedule. And then this major announcement happened. Mobile Nations, the company that owns Android Central, is being bought or has been bought by Future. And... uh I got asked by a bunch of people on Twitter today, and I received a couple of emails wanting me to talk about this on the podcast because people are a bit worried that this acquisition is going to change things uh, for the worse. And I'm not going to get too much into future plans because A, I don't really know that many of them, but B, it's not really productive to speculate. But the one thing I will say is that Future is a company, it's based in in the UK, it owns brands that you probably are familiar with, like Tech Radar, like Tom's Guide, um, they own Anon Tech, and a bunch of other really well-known tech brands that are a bit more niche. Among other many, many topics, Future is has a legacy of magazine publication, and you know they just have dozens and dozens of really um, niche trade magazines and whatnot. But um, one thing that I can commit to is that nothing from your perspective, if you're a fan of Android Central, is going to change. We are still producing amazing content. We are still going to be going to all the shows, bringing you all the podcasts and all the hot takes. And from our perspective, we are still competing for your attention with the tech radars and the Tom's guides and the non techs, because for us, we are a group, we are a family and we are going to produce the best possible content that we can. Uh, and it's now just a form of internal pride that if we get your attention, that makes us feel even better. So do not fear. None of our sites are going anywhere. None of our sites are changing hands. None of our sites are, are, um, are going to make any major changes. And uh, you can expect the same, <laughs> whether you like it or not, the same coverage of all your favorite Android <laughs> and devices. most likely more of it and even better. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing we are trying to do in 2019 is grow. And that means that you will see some new faces, you'll hear some new voices, and you will read even more amazing content. So thank you again for listening. Thank you for following. Thank you for your concern. It really, like, it touched me so much when people reached out and they're like, 
are you going to go away? Like, I didn't really think people cared. And this makes me feel really good because apparently they yeah. do. So thank you. Um, so we're, we're going to leave it there. Um, Alex, Andrew, thank you so much. Thank you, uh, thank Daniel. You. Uh, and, and as always, thank you so much for listening. If you have any feedback, as I said earlier in the show, send it to podcast and Android Central. Let us know what you think of all the announcement at, uh, announcements at MWC. And we will be back next week with your regular scheduled ACP. Until then, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. See you later. Bye.